yourself and why you support single payer? Uh, I'm John Yarmuth, the congressman from Louisville, and I've been a long-standing supporter of single payer, a co-sponsor of the single payer legislation in the House, and uh, I think as we've seen over the last many decades, if you looked at every problem that has been identified with health care, it's pretty much resolved by single payer. And I think the debate going on right now is interesting because it, I think it illustrates the fact that the solution to most of our health care issues, particularly insurance issues, is single payer. My name is Reverend Charles Elliott. I'm the pastor of King Solomon Baptist Church. Been pastoring there for 56 years. I'm in support of this health care because everybody needs it. Poor, rich, those who can afford to pay and those who cannot afford to pay. And that's why that I am supporting it. Thank you, sir. Broadcasting from the historic Habern Building in downtown Louisville, it's time for Single Payer Radio. We are a project of Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare, and we're an affiliate of the Kentucky Chapter of Physicians for a National Health Program. We're a longstanding community partner with Forward Radio WFMPLP 106.5. I'm Mark McKinley, a volunteer with the group. And the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the speakers and not the station. And speaking of the station, Forward Radio is an all-volunteer community radio station and we're part of the Pacifica Radio Network. We'd like for you to go to forwardradio.org. There you can pitch your ideas for a show and consider becoming a sustainer to support the station. Try five bucks a month. It all adds up. And I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression will recognize Kentuckians for single-payer health care this Friday evening at their virtual New Year's Eve party. It goes from 7 to 9 p.m. And you can watch on the Facebook page for the Kentucky Alliance. Harriet Seiler will accept recognition for us for our July 24th March for Medicare for All and our recent How the Grinch Stole Medicare demonstration. And just to uh, let you guys know that the ties between the Alliance and Kentuckians for Single-Payer Health Care Go, go way back. And the Alliance was one of, the, er, one of our earliest local endorsers for a single-payer plan. Ann Braden wrote a front-page story for the Louisville Defender for the plan. Paul Moffat 
served on our steering committee for years as the Alliance rep. And Antonio Whitcliffe has served on our steering committee after Tom's passing. The Alliance has recognized Kay Tillow and Dr. Garrett Adams in the past for their tireless work for healthcare justice. And as we wrap up with a final episode of Single Payer Radio for 2021, let's raise a glass in celebration and appreciation for the Kentucky Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression and Kentuckians for Single Payer Healthcare. You guys make Louisville a better community. Big thanks. So we're starting this week's episode with Harriet Seiler's interview with Tom Moffat, which was recorded at our studio over at the First Unitarian Church before we made our move here uh, to Hayburn. It first aired as part of our first episode when we went on the air back in... 2017, back in April of 2017. And after Harriet and Tom, we've got Dr. Margaret Flowers interviewing Kay Tillow about the ongoing corporate efforts to privatize our Medicare program. Harriet, Tom, Margaret, Kay, you guys are real-life action figures, the real deal. Thanks for all your hard work. Hi there. Forward Radio is pleased to bring our listeners another segment exploring the merits of a national single-payer health plan. My name is Harriet Seiler, and it's a great pleasure today to be speaking with Tom Moffat, a retired Presbyterian minister, well known in the Louisville area for his work as an activist for civil rights, open housing, and other social justice issues. And I've just learned that Tom also had a second career as an accountant. Tom, why have you joined Kentuckians for single-payer health care? Harriet, I'm an enthusiastic member because single-payer, Medicare for All, is a way to combat the fear that millions of us have, the fear that a major illness in our family will wipe out our life savings. Moreover, single-payer is real reform that will expand care and cut costs. This program will save the average middle-income family over $5,000 each year. That's right, $5,000 per year. Businesses too would save. Employers would no longer have to pay health care premiums to cover their employees. They will pay a moderate tax instead, but the savings will be significant and every worker will be covered. Small business owners who now say they can't afford health care for their workers would be totally relieved of that concern. Money would be freed up for expansion, innovation, even for higher wages. And we could all use higher wages, couldn't we, Tom? 
Uh, I know how active you are, Tom, but how would a single-payer plan affect you, yourself, now that you're out of the regular workforce? I'm 92, still healthy, but have had recurring EMS trips to the emergency room with Medicare and a supplement. I've never paid more than $100 for those trips, and my taxes, premiums, and other out minor out-of-pocket expenses probably come to less than $5,000 a year. But I wouldn't need to pay for a supplement anymore, and I'd expect my taxes to go down. Well, like higher wages, lower taxes are always a good thing. <laughs> Uh, a moment ago, you mentioned real reform. Aren't the reforms that were brought in by the Affordable Care Act, also called Ob Obamacare, aren't they helping with access to treatment and cost control? Well, Obamacare has helped some. It has helped some people, but not a lot of others. And the Medicaid expansion has helped low-income families. But I know young people and people under 65 who are still struggling to get care, who can't afford the premiums, or especially the rising costs of their drugs. Right, drugs. Just imagine how things would improve under a single-payer system. Here it is. We'll all be able to go to the doctor of our choice without worrying about the bill. If the doctor decides we need care, we'll get it. There will be no interference from insurers. The doctor or hospital won't have to worry who will pay the bill or whether the bill will get paid because the bill will be processed by the one single payer that will handle all payments for everybody all over the country. The money will come from taxes spread over all the nation's people and businesses. We'll all pitch in. Well, now that sounds like the single-payer motto, everybody in, nobody out. Um, and in your view, what do we have to do to get such a system? Well, it won't come unless ordinary people like you and me work for it, Harriet. There's a bill in Congress right now, it's been there for a number of years, H.R. 676, the single-payer bill introduced by Representative John Conyers. That legislation outlines a simple and common-sense solution. The bill now has 62 co-sponsors, including our own Kentucky John Yarman. We have to put pressure on Congress, though, to get it passed. The bill is an American version of the single-payer health care systems, currently working smoothly in every other advanced industrialized democracy. Their doctors are satisfied, paid well, and the resulting care is better than we are getting, even after the progress made under the Affordable Care Act. Better care than we have in the great U.S.? But Tom, don't we brag about having the best health care in the world? Oh, we do have great doctors in hospitals, but for the last 20 years, health care costs have been spiraling out of control, bankrupting individuals and businesses, even while our costs have reached double those of other countries. That's right, double. Our health outcomes do not measure up. 
In 2000, the World Health Organization ranked the U.S. at number 37 compared to other member countries. 37th? 37th? Shocking, isn't it? I'm afraid that outcomes haven't improved much. For example, we have higher infant mortality, lower life expectancy. The health of Americans, by many different measures, is actually worse than the health of citizens in other wealthy countries. That's a quote. Well, and I also have heard that in some of our Kentucky counties, the mortality rate is shockingly high, which means we are losing so many people too young, so many needless deaths. Such sad statistics, <laughs> so many needless deaths. The facts have convinced me to be an active supporter of single payer. The U.S. is the only industrialized country without true universal health care. Medicare for all, H.R. 676, that's expanded and improved Medicare for all, will bring justice and care for everybody at less cost and will save our economy billions per year. Well, now, how you and I are behind this, how can we get the public behind single-payer? Well, public support for this single-payer is rapidly growing, and I'm convinced will soon force action on the political scene. I may be more optimistic than some, but the most recent national poll, December of 2015, shows a total of 58% in favor of an expanded universal form of Medicare for all. And that includes 30% of Republicans. Goodness. <laughs> 20,000 doctors nationwide have endorsed single payer as members of Physicians for a National Health Plan. Several presidential primary debates gave this attention, but most media still ignore or criticize single-payer as politically impractical. We know that Democrats as well as Republicans see problems and express public dissatisfaction with the ACA, commonly called Obamacare. But the media fail to mention single-payer as a possible fix for a, a health care system that most of us are fed up with, unhappy with. I, I agree that the ACA falls short of our expectations. It's just so complex, and I'm afraid the marketplace really doesn't work very well in health care. But let's get back to the costs of a plan like H.R. 676. How will we pay for it? Well, there are wild statements being made, but serious economists who look into the question carefully tell us that single-payer will save money and cost substantially less for everyone except a few of our wealthiest taxpayers, that top 1% or 2% we hear about these days. Opponents try to convince us that taxes will rise for all income groups, I have no personal hesitation in saying that I have checked out those major allegations and find none of them backed by any efforts to provide factual support and evidence. 
For instance, the claim that the platform proposal of a major Democratic candidate would require additional taxes of $15 trillion completely ignores the fact that the substantial increase in total taxes for health care will be more than offset by eliminating all insurance premiums as well as co-pays and deductibles. That's why all reliable estimates predict total costs will decrease. And I am confident in repeating that figure of $5,000 savings for the average middle-class family. Well, and Tom, we have the savings in, in dollars, and that's to say nothing of reducing the anxiety and the worry about getting a health care bill that you know you can't pay. That's right. I'm glad you mentioned that, Harriet. We don't worry about getting a bill if we have to call the police or the fire department. We can also take the worry out of health care the same way. The 911 dispatcher doesn't ask if we have insurance. Oh, you're right. <laughs> with Thank heavens. With single payer, if our doctor finds we need care, we get it and can still come back again and again. No consultation or cancellation by an insurance company to protect their profits. Well, Tom, you have really done your research here and you've, we've about, I think, covered the waterfront, but is there anything else you think our, listen, our listeners should know or that they should do well, I've, I've completely failed to mention one of the most important things. The reduced costs of single-payer make it possible to include coverage of dental and even long-term care. Think of that. You mean nursing homes, long-term care. That's incredible. That is incredible. Most of us have never even thought about that. Right. People and have not I personally planned. have always just accepted the fact that I was going to have to let Medicaid take care of my last days if I, they ended up in a nursing home. Mm. Remember, if we want to get no worry health care, this kind of health care at less cost for businesses as well as individuals, you and I will have to get enthusiastic about it, join with others to work for it. The special interests that rake in huge profits from the current system based on private insurance spend billions of those profits to persuade Congress to leave our current complex and costly system just the way it is. Our votes are the only thing that can win out over those dollars. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your insights and your passion about this topic. Kay Tillo. Kay is a longtime civil rights and union organizer activist. She is currently the coordinator of Union Committee for Single Payer and the chair of the Kentuckians for Single Payer. Thank you for taking time to speak with me today, Kay. So happy to be here, Margaret. So you and I actually, as a disclaimer, I should say, we've worked together for a long time on National Improved Medicare for All, uh, but there's a new threat to our current traditional Medicare system. And I wanna start out by talking about that because I don't think many people are aware of it and I don't think they're aware of how serious this is. So can you talk about the new uh, direct contracting entities and uh, you had a protest recently at Humana, talk about that. 
Okay, well, the direct contracting entities are something that many of us just recently discovered was going on. It is a new privatization scheme uh, within the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And when I say new, that's because uh, Medicare was already being privatized by the private for-profit Medicare Advantage plans that are being sold uh, by Joe Namath and many others in the ads that is indeed slowly privatizing our Medicare. Our Medicare is our, our public program for those who are seniors over 65. But uh, the Medicare Advantage plans now make up something like 42%. So we've had a slow privatization, which we haven't really effectively gotten on top of. But now on top of it, these private companies want more. They are coming after the 58% of Medicare beneficiaries who are still in the traditional public Medicare programs. And those, those seniors are being turned over to direct contracting entities through a program being run out of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and its uh, subsidiary, the Innovation Center. It's the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. And it uh, came about through, was written into the law of the Affordable Care Act. And that center is now the center of privatization of our Medicare plan. Through putting seniors without their consent into direct contracting entities, which are all for-profit entities run by hedge funds, venture capitalists, insurance companies, and uh, private equity-owned physician practices. So I know that's a mouthful to say, but that's part of the problem is the complexity makes it difficult to alert the public, but we have to do it because if people know that uh, the, all of Medicare will be destroyed within a short period of time and Medicare is the best program that we have uh, with a uh, overseen by the public sector and using less of our money, you know, well, we all know that Medicare uses only about 2% for administrative costs and all of these private profiteers are using 12 to 20% of our money. Uh, so there's less care and more profit and that's the direction we're going unless we get everybody to rise up to stop it. So that's what people are doing, working to alert uh, Congress and to alert Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra that we want it stopped, we want it ended now. And basically what we want is instead of uh, privatization of Medicare, we want to supersize Medicare and to extend it to everyone and to take all the for-profit entities out. So that's what it is. It's yeah. direct contracting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's, people can understand it if we say, basically this is the next step to fully privatizing our Medicare program 
and it's being done without people's knowledge. So I remember when the Affordable Care Act, you know, was was being passed back in 2009, 2010. And I believed that the Obama administration said they were going to work to slow the privatization of Medicare. I remember we were all thinking, you know, they were going to try to kind of stop those Medicare Advantage plans, but instead they've really grown. Now it, it seems that of the major insurance companies, the bulk of their revenues are coming from the profits and revenue from these public programs like Medicare and, and Medicaid. Can you talk about for, you know, for, for people, why is this bad? Why is privatizing Medicare bad for people? Well, privatizing it is bad because when there are profits in the system, uh, those four profits make it cost more and make the quality worse. We've seen that in every study that's been done, you know, for-profit nursing homes have lower quality care and they cost us more. For-profit hospitals, the same thing. The for-profit insurance companies are ripping us off every day. The for-profits in the Medicare, Medicaid programs, uh, there are for-profits in Medicare. You know, we know that the the profits in Medicare Advantage result in more denials of care. Uh, the amount of denial is just really great. They result in uh, putting up barriers to people getting care, like requiring pre-authorizations before they can actually approve it or you know, actually denying it outright or putting uh, barriers to care because of the costs like putting uh, deductibles and co-pays in the path of people so that they have to pay more and they get less care. And that's the function that the for-profits play. So the privatization will be less care and big money for Wall Street. And by gosh, they're in it in a big way. The hedge funds are really salivating over getting their hands on the many billions of dollars in our Medicare fund. So we, the people have to save it. Right, right. And as you said, initially, you know, for the traditional Medicare plans, the fully public Medicare plans, their overhead is only about 2%. That means the other 98% is going to actually pay for care. But under these private plans, these advantage plans, and now these DCEs, the incentive is more profit. And the only way you make profit is by not paying for care or getting people to pay for their own care so that you don't have to, to pay for the care. But people are sold on these advantage plans. They're told that they're, they're going to be you know, less expensive. They'll cover more things. And then when they get sick, they find out that doesn't actually work out that well. Our problem with Medicare Advantage is that many, many, many of our seniors. In fact, I think most of them on, are on very limited budgets. You know, our pension system is inadequate, our social security is inadequate, so they have a limited monthly budget. And what they have done is design these privatized plans in a way that you pay less per month in the premium. And that entices people to purchase them because quite frankly, uh, you know, they're juggling to cover food and clothing and uh, housing and the basics of life. So it's been geared, that's, that's on Congress. They've geared the plans so that it, it looks beneficial and it's attractive to people to buy into Medicare Advantage. And quite frankly, people don't find out about it 
uh, until they get really sick. And then they know that they can't, they are, have a limited network and can't see the doctors they need. They can't get to the rehab centers they need. They can't get the, to the best cancer hospitals or institutions. Um, and then they want to go back into traditional Medicare and there are barriers there because uh, once you have purchased a Medicare Advantage plan, you can return to traditional Medicare, but you can't buy a supplementary plan without going through underwriting, without them scrutinizing your care and being able to charge you more or deny you coverage because of pre-existing conditions. So it's a terrible situation, both the Medicare Advantage and now the direct contracting entities. And it's like a two-pronged attack to virtually privatize the entire program. And of course the, in, the program has been our best plan and the basis of, of which single payer advocates talk about as the basis for a model to set up a national not-for-profit single-payer healthcare plan. So everything is at stake here. Our Medicare <laughs> and our future and our ability to move our nation to a really good universal healthcare plan. Right, and, and the privatization of Medicare, and this is you know typical of privatization efforts, then because the quality is lower, then they'll, they'll be able to convince people say, oh, look, see, Medicare doesn't work. You know, we need, we need you know, to be private because people don't realize it's privatized. So this time, instead of the advantage plans, which still exist, now they're going through physicians and convincing them to sign up with these private plans. And then, as you said, their patients are in these plans. They don't have an awareness that they've been changed over to this. How, why are physicians doing this? Why are they signing up for these privatized plans? Uh, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I have all of the answers, but I think many physician practices have been taken over by private equity. So it's not the individual physicians that are making the decision. It's these for-profit entities that are already controlling any of the physician practices. And, um, you know, we've had a long period of time when physicians were concerned and burnt out and having great difficulties because physician practice has been uh, controlled by the decisions of the for-profit insurance companies. Now this makes it worse. So, um, you know, they're, they're, these Wall Street uh, private equity are offering physicians a a steady income and a better income if they go into this new situation. So uh, there's a group called Village MD uh, that's owned by private equity. They're operating here in Kentucky in the area down around Murray, which is the area that's been hit by the tornado. And then there's another one under Illumed, I-L-U-M-E-D. It's uh, operating in the Pikeville area, which is you know the part of our state that is suffering so from the loss of jobs and you know great difficulties of the Appalachian region. So they're like preying on the people who, who are um, least on top of being able to control their health care. And it's just a, a gigantic injustice. And we have to get people really speaking out because I think it's possible 
that once people know, they will be enraged about it. I mean, the whole idea that without your consent, you can be placed into a new situation in which you didn't decide to go and in which your physician gets more money and the direct contracting entity gets more money when they deny you care. See, that's the malicious reversal of the incentives that happens under the privatization, that instead of paying them for seeing you or treating you or caring for you or hospitalizing you, they reverse that and they get to keep the money. They give them a flat rate per month per person. And if they deny you care, they get to keep the money. So, you know, uh, a couple of people that have been looking into this say that they think that as high as 40% of the Medicare money will go into these profit administration, which is even more than we're losing now in the Medicare Advantage plans. Right. And, you know, compared to the 2% in traditional Medicare, and we're seeing that in Medicaid, we're seeing these, uh, you know, 40, 50% of the revenue going into not paying for care, but going for profits for the private companies and, and overhead and, and things like that. You know, and the corporatization of healthcare is another thing that's really been escalating ever since the passage of the Affordable Care Act. I know with our own family physician, the insurance company just dropped him because they were narrowing their network after the Affordable Care Act passed. And he had to join a corporate entity in order to stay in the health insurance that was his major insurer so he could continue to see his patients. So he was forced into a corporatization without, you know, he's a single practice, single, you know, physician practice. I don't think people are aware of the, all the ramifications of the Affordable Care Act. So this current direct contracting entities is happening without congressional oversight. But as you said, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services could control this. Talk about the Secretary Xavier Becerra and what his position is on this and what's being done to approach him. Uh, well, uh, I don't know what his position is, but, you know, he is presiding over Health and Human Services that is running this model. And uh, people have been writing to him and calling him. I don't know uh, whether there are any answers to that or, yet or not. But, you know, the, the, the innovation center that is doing this plan is uh, headed up by Elizabeth Fowler, and we all remember her uh, from 2009 when um, we became aware that she was the person uh, writing the Affordable Care Act. And she came from the insurance industry, from WellPoint, which became Anthem. She then uh, wrote the bill uh, under Senator Max Baucus of the Finance Committee. And uh, this is the department that was set up under that bill. So she is a privatizer. She's a really an insurance uh, company operative and she's running the show. She's been appointed by President uh, Biden to head up that innovation center. And that's where the program originates and is underway. So, you know, uh, we are in for a difficult time. They claim that uh, what they are doing is transforming healthcare. 
and uh, that they are going to make it cost less and uh, that they are squeezing out the unnecessary care. All of that is a lie. Uh, what their plan is, <laughs> is to squeeze out care and put that care into profits. And uh, that's really what the direct contracting entities program does. And uh, these companies are, I mean, if you look at them up, one of them is called Clover and they have a whole plan for incentivizing physicians to upcode, to uh, make sure that they say that the patient has more illnesses than they do in order to get more money out of it. And it really is a crisis for us because this is the question of which way we will go in terms of healthcare. If we go the privatized way, Medicare will be destroyed and all of care will be in the hands of those who don't care, but who are in it for the profit. Right. It's really amazing. Well, not amazing. I mean, just on Liz Fowler, I thought what was interesting is after she you know, left her job with WellPoint, became, worked for Max Baucus in the Senate Finance Committee, wrote the white paper for the bill, shepherded it through. And then after it was signed into law by President Obama, President Obama appointed her to be the person that oversaw the regulations, how the regulations were written. So, I mean, she's had, yeah, I mean, she's just had such a huge hand in the current state of our, our healthcare system. So while this is happening, this privatization, there has been a growing call and awareness of the need for a national improved Medicare for all, for a fully public program, a universal program. And I think the pandemic has really exposed the failures of our current healthcare system. There is legislation in Congress. Uh, the lead sponsor is Pramila Jayapal in the House. It's called HR 1976. Can you talk about about that legislation and you know, what's happening with that in Congress? Well, uh, the last I looked, I think there were about 117 co-sponsors on it. There may have been a couple more since I looked at it, but it uh, hasn't been really pushed. You know, there are uh, some people despair over the difficulty of this and have started working on other things. And I think it's important for us to move our people uh, back to the, the push for a national improved Medicare for all, because the problem is there is no other solution. Nothing else is going to work uh, to bring people care and to remove the barriers that are in our way. And so, you know, the necessity is that we begin to push that. And when people say you don't have the votes, then we must say we have to make the way to find the votes because there is no other way. And to give up on our country and to say, you know, the rest of the industrialized world can have universal care, but we can't because we don't have the votes. Well, we have to get the votes. We have to take the position that we are in struggle to force this to pass and it has to pass or we will lose many millions more lives and increase the suffering tremendously. So uh, that bill is currently uh, doesn't have uh, doesn't have a companion bill in the Senate, and I don't think that it's being pushed very vigorously by anyone in the Congress. 
Um, it is true that Pramila Jayapal is circulating a letter, and this is good. She's circulating a letter to uh, members of Congress asking them to sign on with her to a letter that will go to Xavier Becerra and urges him to end the direct contracting and the privatization. So that's a very good move that she's doing. And I think there are 21 have signed on to the letter uh, with her and people should urge their congressperson to sign that letter. Let's get as much pressure as we can on Becerra to take some action to stop this. So I think that the other thing that we could do is to get people speaking about it. You know, the first article that came out was by, that I saw was by Trudy Lieberman, who said this is an under the radar program. And that's what was happening. Nobody was saying anything. It was just the pilot program functioning, you know, within CMS. And uh, that was all it was. So uh, I think it's good. There have begun to be articles about it. I think there was something in the Washington Post and the Hill and the Intercept. And, uh, you know, we're beginning to get uh, some light shed onto it. And that gives hope that people will have a way to express themselves because they know about it. I've seen uh, the letters that they send to people to tell them that they're in a DCE. And it is uh, so confusing. There's no way anybody's going to know what that means. They just send a letter informing you that, you know, you're going to get better care because, you know, you're now in a direct contracting entity and we're going to manage your care in a way that gives you better care, which all of which is a lie. Uh, the whole thing is based on lies. You know, there is absolutely no evidence that this transformation to value-based care within CMMI, it's not better than uh, fee-for-service. Fee-for-service uh, doesn't shift the incentive. So uh, that whole transformation in that uh, innovation center has to be stopped. It really, really does. That's where the, the care is being turned over to everybody who doesn't care. Right. And, you know, under this value-based care, which sounds good, it actually incentivizes physicians to find ways to drop patients that are not able to comply, you know, with the, with their healthcare. If, if, a, if a physician has patients that aren't doing well and are requiring more care, the physician is losing money on those patients. So it really, as you said, it, it, it's the wrong incentive that's happening. So you and others in Kentuckians for single payer uh, recently held a protest outside of Humana to raise awareness of this issue. Very creative, how the Grinch stole Medicare. How did people receive that in the community? Oh, people loved it. I mean, we, we really, well, we worked on trying to find a way to tell this, this complex issue to our people. So we had a, we had a poem uh, that people in national single payer uh, wrote about the Grinch as the direct contracting entity. And uh, we had songs that we uh, sang that uh, made up telling the story once by uh, Lee Stanfield in uh, Tucson, Arizona, that she wrote about uh, Medicare, don't privatize it, supersize it. And so we sang that 
that song and uh, we uh, had a, a very, very good day. We had music and poetry and brief speeches and told the story and we, you know, it was videoed and that was shared around the country. So, and as a result of doing that action, uh, we had an opportunity to do a lot of radio interviews. Uh, we've been on the David Swanson show and uh, WBAI and, you know, a number of other radio stations. So, you know, taking some action uh, really helps to kind of open the door to reach the public around the hands of the mainstream media that won't tell the story and won't open up to the most important news that people ought to have. Right. And it's something that other people can do around the country. It's very simple to hold, organize a rally outside of, you know, your member of Congress's office, outside of the whatever the giant insurance company is. Just look for the biggest building in town, (laughs) 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 whatever your major insurance company is. And, you know, other things that people can do, writing letters to the editor, uh, calling into radio stations, whatever you can do to, to raise awareness, you know, that this is happening would be important. I want to talk about, because I think, you know, while I have you, I think that you are one of the most eloquent uh, speakers as a longtime organizer in the South on why we're fighting for national improved Medicare for all. You talked about how some people in the single payer movement have kind of dropped back from that because of the frustration of being told you don't have the votes. Now, we know we that people that are fighting for real change never have the votes. I mean, we create, <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's true. ridiculous. Like, it's like people that are fighting for people that fought for civil rights were told they were asking for too much. You know, all the struggles have been told, you know, you're asking for too much. You, you can't have it. But why in particular is it important that we stay focused on national improved Medicare for all as opposed to trying it at the state level? Well, there really is no way to implement uh, single payer at the state level. And it should be a national responsibility. And uh, it's going backwards to say, we want the money to go back to states and let them to try to do what they want. That doesn't work. You know, we can't do voting rights that way. You may have rights in Massachusetts, but you won't have rights in Alabama. And uh, we need to do it nationally. We don't want healthcare to be a responsibility of the state. It should be a responsibility of the nation. And we already have the national Medicare program. And uh, to do single payer in a state, you would have to break that up and give the money handed over to the states. And that really is a backward step. So while, you know, they're good hearted people working on those state bills, it's not the way to go. I mean, I think we should engage in a dialogue with everyone and say, let's, let's join together to work on the national because that really is the only effective way that we're gonna break through in the country. And, you know, we have to raise the standards of what we say we stand for. You know, a hearing aid here and there is not going to do much for us when people are dying because they can't get basic health care. And that is indeed a, a blot on our entire nation and something that, you know, everybody's enraged over. And we have a majority of the people with us. I mean, and so in a democracy, majority ought to rule. You know, we ought to be able to transform majority opinion 
into law. That's what we need. And that's where we should focus our effort. How do we do that? How do we put enough people into motion to make what looks impossible possible? That's what the, the job is to do. And if we change our position on what we stand for to comply with what we judge as the possible, then we'll never get there. There is no way in which that can be done. You know, my background is through the civil rights movement. And, you know, I was very young during the civil rights movement and oh, most of what I understand to that movement. And people did amazing things and transformed the nation and they didn't stop. And they didn't say, we're gonna just get voting rights in one state. They said, we're gonna change the country. And they say, we want federal legislation. We want national legislation. Even now, you know, we need federal voting rights legislation because they're trying to take away the gains of that earlier period. But, uh, you know, to have confidence that people will agree with us when we're right and that everybody has, uh, you know, an interest in uh, getting this. And so it ought to be possible to put enough people into motion to change what is possible. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to get people to stick on what will work. You know, I, hey, if something else would work, I would be for it. But there is no nation in the world that has gotten universal care basing it on private for-profit insurance. And it can't be done and we can't do it either. And so we have to cut that out. That industry is a parasite on the backs of every person in the country. And, uh, you know, we can do it. There's no way that they ought to be able to run our healthcare system to the detriment of every single person in the country. We can absolutely do it. I mean, having, despite all of the negative uh, media messaging about National Improved Medicare for All, you know, there's been a long time campaign in the corporate media to shut it out or demonize it. Despite that, still the vast majority of people in the United States want and support a national improved Medicare for all. So that's one of the big hurdles we've already accomplished. The next part is, as you said, to mobilize enough people to change from, you know, something from being impossible to being inevitable, to being the only politically possible solution. And that just takes, you know, uh, people being committed as you have been to putting pressure on Congress, raising awareness, organizing in, in their communities. But I just wanted to get back quickly to the state thing, because I think you've been very eloquent in writing about this. Not only is it, you know, if we had state-based programs, uh, we're going to have inequality so that some states will have better programs and others will have worse programs, as you mentioned, you know, Massachusetts versus in Alabama. And this was, this is what was done to Medicaid. When Medicare and Medicaid were passed in 1965, it was a Southern Dixiecrat, a racist Democrat, who put in what he called the poison pill of, of breaking Medicare and Medicaid into two different entities and making one federal and one state. And Medicaid insurance for the poor was made a state-based program. And we've seen the real differences state to state in the quality of who gets included in those programs and what care they can get. But you've also talked about trying for the, the state level, what that would do to our Medicare program. Can you quickly talk about that? Well, to Medicare, uh, they have to break it up. I mean, the, the way single payer works 
is that you have to put all of the money into one stream, cut out the administrative waste and pay with one public fund. So, you know, a lot of our money is in the Medicare and Medicaid programs, which are, you know, well, Medicare totally federal. So you have to break up the federal fund and turn that money over to the states. And I know there's some people that have even projected, well, you know, let's have a contest. Let's, let's turn the money over to the states that want to do market-based and those who want to do single payer and see who wins. Well, that's a terrible direction to break up the best program we have and to let some states do an even worse program. And, you know, states don't have the ability that we have on the federal level to do really progressive taxing, to do uh, the kind of program we need. They have the problem of people who live in one state and, and uh, work in another state. Um, you know, what are you gonna do with people in that situation? They just, you just can't solve it on a state level. You can't really get a single payer program. And, you know, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's not a, a it's not a good way for us to go. We need to talk to people about helping to put their strength into the national move so that we can get the optimum strength behind a national push. And we can't give up on uh, what is needed. You have to first say, you know, what is the solution? And then mobilize your forces around that. You can't say, well, we'll just adapt to what we think is possible because that's what we've been doing. That's when we settled for the Affordable Care Act, which did damage as well as a little bit of good. Right. But that's what the power structure always does. It tries to funnel people into, you know, well, you can fight for this because you can have this. And, and it's never actually a step towards what we ultimately need. A, a national improved Medicare for all is, is the only way to have an, an actual system that can get the savings, as you said, get the revenue to provide a high quality healthcare system for every single person living in the country, no matter where they are or where they travel in the country or where, or where they work. So where can people who are listening to this program, where would you recommend that they learn more about National Improved Medicare for All, learn about these direct contracting entities and get involved? Uh, well, there's several places. You, we're trying to keep some up on our website at kyhealthcare.org. And then there is a group that is specifically geared around the national effort, and that's nationalsinglepayer.com. And then the Physicians for a National Health Program is also working very hard on the DCEs, and that is pnhp.org. So I urge people to go to any of those websites and read. You know, you have to you have to kind of read a little bit about it to understand it because they the, the complexity is one of the things that they're using to keep people from getting onto it. But uh, once you read a little bit about it and you know what it is that they are doing, you get through the language. I mean, they use a strange language to a jargon to promote their plan, but uh, you can see and people will be able to see through it when they see that Medicare is going to be turned over to private equity and to hedge funds. Nobody wants their health care to be run 
by those groups. And so I think it's possible to get an uprising that not only says no more DCEs, no more Medicare Advantage, no more private health insurance destroying our care. And I think that it can lead to a major push to say we're going to go to an improved Medicare for all. Yeah, and the sooner we all push for that, the sooner we're going to get it. So, um, so thank you so much for for your commitment to this work and all that you do. I know that that you speak about this. There are many people out there that have been organizing for National Improved Medicare for for all who can also speak about this. So, go to these organizations and and you can you know find someone to speak to your group uh, and and learn yourself about it so that you can speak about it. But uh, thank you so much, Kay, for for taking time to speak with me today and for your work on this issue. To learn more how you can become involved with Kentuckians for single-payer health care, you can go to kyhealthcare.org. That's kyhealthcare.org. You can follow the group on Facebook. You can uh, check out the Twitter feed that Harriet and Kay run. You can go to Nurse npo at aol.com that's nurse npo at aol.com that's Kay's email address and she can put you on our email list we meet by zoom twice a month and like I said just learn how you can uh, become involved and what's going on with the corporate takeover of the Medicare program. I want to wish everyone a safe, healthy, happy new year. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. Thank you.